Welcome to the ParkCast series, Episode 34, Burnout and Child Welfare, Part 2, Treatment and Prevention. The ParkCast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archive. This podcast focuses on causes and conditions that create burnout and child welfare, highlighting treatment and prevention for individuals and agencies. Refresher. Burnout only happens at work. You may wake up in the morning feeling good, energized, and ready for the day. Somewhere along the line, as you prepare yourself to go to work and child welfare, something inside starts feeling not quite right. The desire to help people, which is core to why you do what you do, is intact. However, when you start to think about the details of your working life, that good feeling you had when you got up is gone. It is replaced by a growing sense of tiredness, of not having energy to do good work. You may feel guilty about this, which makes you question your ability to be really effective at what you do. This may make you feel angry at yourself, at the agency you work for, at the clients, anyone who contributes to this feeling of tiredness and ineffectiveness. What can you do? It is a normal human reaction to avoid things that are unpleasant. Have you ever had a professional situation where you are forced to interact with someone or something that you found unpleasant? What if it is really unpleasant and you have no choice but to force yourself through it day after day? Does this make going home at the end of the day look much more attractive? Do you heave a sigh of relief when you arrive home to your personal life? And does this repeat itself the next day and the next? What happens if this goes on with your job unchecked for an extended period of time? If we can learn anything from research, it clearly indicates that burnout is a distinct possibility if such a feedback loop exists. What then can be done to avoid this from becoming inevitability? Research offers us some clues as to how to prevent burnout from beginning, as well as what to do about it should it already be present. Etiology, or causes. Recalling the person and environment framework from part one in this series, A common theme in research is that the worker and workplace interact with each other and have an impact on the worker's psyche, both good and bad. This means that there are some characteristics of child welfare workers that may put them at risk for experiencing burnout, as well as organizational factors that make some agencies more conducive to the development of burnout among staff. There is also research that suggests that when both of these things interact, it greatly increases the likelihood that burnout will develop. Methods matter. Differing fields of study will use different ontologies, or ways of looking at the world, and epistemologies, ways of gathering information, when considering research questions. For example, medical will use the internal or biological world as its primary source of problems and solutions, whereas sociology looks to the world outside the individual, and social work looks at both the person and the environment. This impacts methodology, or the way research is carried out, which will then influence the results. Personal Characteristics Research has consistently shown that younger workers are more susceptible to burnout. This may be influenced by several factors, such as a fledgling relationship with an effective supervisor, or other types of concrete work support networks, and possible employment insecurity being the new kid on the block. Further, among younger workers, there may be a lack of experience in putting effective coping strategies into practice. 
Newer workers may also not have been exposed in prior training or internships to the rigors and realities of working in the child welfare sector. Newer workers may not have built up a reservoir of personal coping tools. Happily, research demonstrates that once workers have been able to do so, they generally have long careers in child welfare. Somewhat paradoxically, the personality of a dedicated child welfare worker can also make them more susceptible to burnout. Traits of idealism and emotional sensitivity have been shown to be linked to increased burnout. It seems that the more one cares, the more likely emotional exhaustion is to occur. Idealism can also lead to a subtle kind of perfectionism, which in turn leads to a sense that one's efforts aren't successful. This links to another burnout dimension, reduced personal accomplishment. For more information on personal accomplishment, see part one in this podcast series. Thinking critically. Which tools have you used in looking at causes or treatments for burnout? How well do they work? How do you know these tools are working? Individual intervention, health psychology, and other research shows that people do not have to be passive victims of their circumstances and can indeed be proactive in developing resistance to stress. Knowledge may indeed be the key to power in this case. Knowledge of what burnout is makes for a great beginning, followed by individual efforts at doing something to give life to the acquired knowledge. For example, if emotional exhaustion is the primary factor in burnout, then by extension it should be the primary focus of intervention and prevention. In practical terms, since every human experiences fatigue, then ensuring adequate sleep is a requisite preventative intervention. How an individual goes about doing this will vary, but the basic message is to do something to make restorative health practices, especially sleep, a priority. If one can consider burnout to be rooted in chronic factors rather than immediate crises, then intervention can best be looked at as long-term and holistic versus a band-aid solution whose relief is temporary. Psychologically, every human being experiences emotions. Those people with high degrees of empathy, such as child welfare workers, are very well aware of this, and high emotional responses are the stock and trade of the human services. This is a profound strength in the helping professions, but it is also a potential Achilles heel. Research indicates that those who have strong social support that provide outlets for emotional expression tend to do better with stress management and anxiety. Like letting air out of an already inflated balloon, emotional outlets allow internal pressure to remain at manageable levels. An important qualification is that there are differing types of social support, and one critical in any professional helper's toolkit is supervision. Child welfare research shows that having access to effective supervision is crucially important. Like any other relationship, supervisor-supervisee is based on mutuality, with each person playing an equally important role. As an individual worker, it can be said that part of the onus is on oneself to access the supports available, and if they aren't immediately there, to actively seek them out. In sum, all workers must be aware of the potential risks of the demanding work that is intrinsic to their field, and to assume that they are not immune to them. This entails at least some degree of personal responsibility and proactivity versus passively sliding into emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and diminished personal accomplishment. The organization, however, plays an equally pivotal role and has perhaps an even greater responsibility. Since employers are, ideally, very well aware of the realities and negative implications of burnout, they can also be proactive in building infrastructure that is healthy for all parties involved. If these are the realities of an individual working in the child welfare system, where does the organization begin its responsibility? 
Organizational Intervention As mentioned earlier, supervision is a critical factor in employee well-being, particularly for newer workers. It is therefore important for organizations to ensure that supervisors are well-trained, competent, and are capable of being good mentors and role models. This is potentially a difficult balancing act and is also an acquired skill. Organizations must invest adequate resources, such as time, training, and money, into recruiting, developing, and supervising supervisors. Supervisors may also be the organization's point person for areas like caseload allocation. Sheer volume of cases is one factor that may be controllable, with newer workers especially. Too much work, particularly too much work that is emotionally demanding, is related to increased burnout. Flexibility and variety of case types have been shown to reduce perceived exhaustion and is linked to less depersonalization and greater accomplishment. Office culture is also a factor organizations can be pivotal in addressing. Research has indicated that when workers perceive they are being treated fairly and are appreciated, they are less prone to burnout. How this is operationalized concretely will differ by individual preferences, but some generalities do exist. Adequate financial compensation is one factor, as are things like benefits, both financial and otherwise. Simple things, like expressed appreciation, are also shown to create a culture of perceived support. Referring to such an old paradigm as Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it is difficult to self-actualize, that is, achieve personal accomplishment and smooth problem-solving, while physiological and safety needs remain unmet. To borrow a metaphor, the organization must provide the bucket of water and lead the horse, that is, the individual worker, to it. Both the bucket and the water need to be adequate, clean, and suitable to the level of thirst. Once this is provided, it is then up to a thirsty horse to drink an appropriate measure, and if unsure what that is, to ask the healthy horses how to do so. Macro-level intervention The picture would not be complete if the larger societal implications are not also mentioned. Families, individual workers, and agencies all operate within larger environments, such as Canadian society, culture, and government. Arguably, children's aid societies exist because there is a social imperative or mandate to protect and develop the well-being of children and families. Child welfare agencies and their agents, including executives, administration, and workers, are all governed by varying degrees of policies, guidelines, and laws. This can vary on the national, provincial, and regional levels and can include individual factors, such as maintaining good standing within a professional college and accessing training and development. It can also involve ensuring that areas like funding sources and legislation are reviewed and updated over time to reflect the social mandate. This also extends to bodies like universities, whose curricula may need to address the issue of burnout directly for those students who are being trained to become child welfare workers. Since every member of the larger society plays a role in the social organism, it then becomes a matter of ensuring that each member is proactive in burnout treatment and prevention. Simply put, if research and practice clearly show that the phenomena of burnout exists and poses a threat to the social mandate to protect children and families, then Canadian society itself must walk its talk to address this issue. Lip service will not do. Each member needs to be challenged to take whatever action is within their power to ensure that this is not a hollow promise.
Thinking critically. How do you proactively address burnout at the individual and organizational levels and beyond? Why do you do what you do? What is it informed by? Does this differ if you are a worker, supervisor? What about if you are a manager or policymaker? Or a family member? Conclusion Returning to our original scenario, what do you do as a child welfare worker when you notice that you don't feel quite right about the idea of going to work? While there is no single answer to this question, perhaps this particle and the research it is informed by has given some practical suggestions. Burnout is real and is a phenomenon that many helping professionals may encounter over the course of their careers. The encouraging news from research is that burnout is entirely treatable once it has occurred and is even preventable given the right level of proactive intervention. This would of course assume cooperation on multiple levels with potentially competing priorities and shifting cultural climates. If, however, the overarching mandate of effective helping is held as the true guiding standard for research, practice, and policy, then burnout needn't be as detrimental as it can be. You have been listening to the podcast series, episode 34, Burnout and Child Welfare, Part 2, Treatment and Prevention. At partcanada.org, you can access Part 1 of this series or download the written literature review format. The podcast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the Parkcast series, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org. Stay up to date by following us on Twitter at Part EIP. That's P A R T E I P.